Hi, I'm Janet Silver and welcome to Road Chats. Canada is changing and so are the sectors that support it. On Road Chats, presented by National Energy Equipment, we are taking a deep dive into what Canada's most prominent fuel and convenience companies are doing amidst the pandemic, how they are innovating to be sustainable. And we'll be speaking with sector experts to get some crystal ball predictions. Get ready to hear how our fuel and convenience sector is making waves on Road Chats. Matthew Klippenstein is the Regional Manager Western Canada for the Canadian Hydrogen and Fuel Cell Association. He has extensive experience in the hydrogen and fuel cell sector, and he has worked in the BC clean energy sector for the past 20 years. Matthew, welcome to Road Chats. Um, thank you for having me, John. Let's start with a framework about hydrogen. Can you just briefly explain the difference between gray, blue, and green hydrogen? Sure. Okay. So, uh... I should note that uh, even though the industry is trying to move away from this colors of the rainbow scheme, it's just such an easy thing to, to catch on to. It's just too catchy uh, to get rid of. Uh, but yes, so uh, gray hydrogen is hydrogen as it's currently made today. Uh, it is made from natural gas. You react natural gas with water. You get hydrogen, you get some CO2. And uh, we've never had a carbon price, at least until recently. And so historically around the world, it's always just been vented to atmosphere. So that's gray hydrogen. Blue hydrogen is essentially gray hydrogen. However, a portion in the near future, uh, the, the largest portion of the CO2 is captured. So we have had several announcements in Alberta where we'll make hydrogen from natural gas. We'll capture 90% or more of the CO2, the carbon dioxide, and inject it underground for storage. So that's blue hydrogen. It's made from hydrocarbons, from fossil fuels, but it is low emissions in terms of greenhouse gases. Green hydrogen is made uh, using water. We run an electric current through water, and uh, we generate hydrogen and oxygen. And green hydrogen is classified as hydrogen made from renewable resources. So in this case, uh, most likely solar and wind, perhaps some hydro as well. So the two biggest producers, and you just spoke about around the world, the two biggest producers and consumers of hydrogen globally are China first and then the United States. So where is Canada on the international stage for producing and using hydrogen today? Sure. So we are, I believe, one of the top 10 countries in terms of production and consumption of hydrogen. Most of the hydrogen that we consume uh, is used in the oil refining process, upgrading our heavier oils. Uh, removing sulfur. Uh, we also use a fair amount of hydrogen uh, to make ammonia, uh, which is used primarily in fertilizers. So that's where we generally use our uh, hydrogen at the moment. Uh, it winds up in finished goods, fertilizers, oil-based products uh, that we also sometimes export. So are we presently using or producing green hydrogen then? So at the moment, we don't produce very much green hydrogen. Worldwide, again, uh, we haven't historically had carbon prices, so almost all hydrogen produced to date has been gray hydrogen. We do have some smaller projects for producing green hydrogen uh, in Quebec, in Ontario, in British Columbia soon. And we would expect that in the long term, uh, green hydrogen worldwide will become cheaper than blue hydrogen. However, uh, in the Canadian context, uh, we have to remember that Alberta has some of the cheapest natural gas in the world. So it will be competitive with this blue hydrogen for a very long time. 
And the amount of overall hydrogen needed to help decarbonize uh, the world's economy will be such that there will be a demand for all sorts of clean, low emissions hydrogen for the foreseeable future. Matthew, off the top, I said that your association represents the hydrogen and fuel cell sector. Mm -hmm. How do these two energy sources, if you will, complement each other or work together? Sure. I suppose uh, what I'd say is that um, if you think of um, like the cross section of an egg, you have like the yolk part and you have like the, I don't know, albumin, whatever it is. Um, So fuel cells are a subset of the total uh, amount of solutions, industrial and climate. Uh, that hydrogen can offer. So one way to think of it is that the fuel cells are one way of, uh, of using hydrogen, particularly in transport. And maybe just to make one more analogy uh, with your listeners, uh, you could see um, hydrogen and electricity as being very complementary uh, forms of energy. They're energy carriers, both electricity, we don't sort of get out of the ground, we transform other energy into electricity, and hydrogen as well, we usually take chemical energy or something and turn that into hydrogen. And if we want to look at the big picture of uh, where things will be with Canada or the world as we decarbonize, the general agreement is that uh, most of the work will be done with clean electricity, and some of the work will also be done with clean hydrogen. So it's a little bit like a lobster claw, where like the mittens part of the lobster is the electricity, but there's still a massive role for hydrogen, the thumb part of the claw, to round out our efforts and uh, get us to where we want to go. You spoke just a moment ago with regards to the hydrogen and fuel cell sector in terms of transportation. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that, please? Absolutely. So um, uh, maybe to make another nature analogy here, uh, one thing we often see in nature is that smaller animals have exoskeletons, things like crabs and smaller like insects, ladybugs, ants, that sort of thing, bees. Uh, but as animals get larger, almost all of them ha- are vertebrates. They have interior skeletons. They don't have shells. So things like cats or horses or hippos or whales, things like that. And in transportation, we expect to see a similar breakdown where smaller vehicles, especially cars, but perhaps some trucks, you know, for sure e-bikes, uh, will largely be dominated by battery electric solutions, which is great. Now, as with shells, with batteries, the larger the vehicle, the longer it has to run. The heavier the battery gets, the more cumbersome it is. So as we move towards larger vehicles, you know, uh, trucks, uh, most buses, uh, you know, mining vehicles, trains, planes, boats, uh, we would expect most of those to be hydrogen and fuel cell powered as opposed to battery powered. So they're not really competing, but they're just two approaches to solving the question of uh, how do we have all the transportation we want and need uh, just without the emissions. How important is hydrogen to getting us to net zero by 2050? So the hydrogen strategy for Canada, uh, published uh, uh, recently, uh, noted that hydrogen would provide up to 30% of Canada's energy needs in a net zero scenario in 2050. Other countries have come to similar numbers. The leading uh, analysis group, Bloomberg New Energy Finance, said it would be up to 24% worldwide. So uh, again, going back to that lobster claw, you know, hydrogen, it's not the majority, but it's still a, a strong sidekick, say, to, uh, to clean electricity. And uh, the cool thing about Canada is that uh, Canada, British Columbia especially, uh, is where hydrogen fuel cells had a bit of a renaissance starting about 30, 40 years ago. I'll get back to that in just a second. I just want to go to one more thing uh, with regards to net zero. 
In April, the Environment Commissioner, Jerry DeMarco, he released five reports about the environment and climate change. And there was one report on hydrogen. And in that report, he noted that green hydrogen is too costly for the industry to invest in. And he said, gray hydrogen, which you've talked about earlier, accounts for most of Canada's hydrogen output. And it's not climate friendly, as, as you pointed out. So are we putting too much emphasis on hydrogen to get us to net zero, as DeMarco noted in his report. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, we, we recognize the, uh, the auditor's report. A couple considerations I think uh, would have, uh, we would have liked to have offered would be that just as solar panels and wind turbines have gotten cheaper over time, we would expect and we know that the, the cost of clean hydrogen, low emissions hydrogen, will drop significantly uh, over time. Uh, the scale up of fuel cells, just one of the uses of hydrogen, the scale up of the fuel cell industry today exactly mirrors the rising trajectory of solar and wind in prior decades. And it has followed that trend for several years now. As we know, solar and wind got a lot cheaper, surprisingly quickly, as will fuel cells, as will clean hydrogen. I will also note, going back to my earlier comment, that yes, most of the hydrogen that we produce today is gray hydrogen. It has a, a lot of CO2 emissions associated with it. And uh, the response that we would offer is that with the contact is that you know, most of the equipment used to make that hydrogen was manufactured, uh, was commissioned in a time before Canada had carbon pricing. Now that we have very aggressive signals on a carbon tax, on a low carbon fuel standard, uh, we have seen many project announcements proposing to use blue hydrogen, hydrogen where 90%, in some cases, 95% of the CO2 produced to make in, in making the hydrogen gets captured and sequestered. And so, um, you know, we would be uh, uh, very eager to uh, discuss this with the auditor, you know, before the next round of uh, analyses and be able to show the progress that we've made in this regard. In terms of that progress, Let's turn to the infrastructure. Where are we in terms of the infrastructure that needs to be in place for hydrogen and trying to change from gray to blue to green? Maybe the way I would frame it is that hydrogen infrastructure in 2022 is a little bit like a cell phone infrastructure in 1982. So it's just started to emerge in some places. We have a set of four hydrogen fueling stations in uh, British Columbia and growing to seven by the year end. But largely, there's not really much of a network. Uh, we have to build that out. And as we build that out, we'll have lots of entrepreneurs figuring out ways to make use of this infrastructure to profitably uh, build businesses, you know, generate revenues, uh, create economic growth. So we are at, still at the early stage, but it's a, a very exciting place to be. Uh, again, if we see how transformative mobile phone networks were in the world, 80s and 90s, uh, even when they were a little bit quirky and people thought they were kind of weird, we see the same transformative opportunity with hydrogen. And uh, a great thing is that it's not just in British Columbia or Quebec, uh, but also in Alberta and other provinces where we have these transformative thorough plans uh, to deploy hydrogen, not just to reduce emissions, but to also you know, create jobs create economic growth while simultaneously uh, you know, reducing health costs, for example. 
from the reduction in pollution that our current technology provides. You spoke about other places where hydrogen is being produced, BC, Alberta. As we're building hydrogen out and putting more infrastructure in place, will there be hydrogen hubs? I'm wondering if Western Canada, for example, would be a hub given Western Canada seems to be further along than other parts of the country. Sure. So a hydrogen hub is um, colloquially, it's a, it's a region where we have large energy flows where we can economically apply hydrogen to scale up the use of hydrogen in a cost-effective way, which uh, minimizes infrastructure costs as we go through these deployments. Uh, the United States has announced money for four hydrogen hubs, a uh, considerable sum. In Canada, our association has a goal of 30 hydrogen hubs, a little bit smaller scale than what the U.S. is talking about, across the country by 2030. Uh, Edmonton has launched its hydrogen hub in recent months uh, with very big plans with its heartland, uh, industrial heartland to scale up. Uh, Vancouver also has uh, plans, I believe Medicine Hat. Uh, we have some regions in Quebec as well. And so we welcome the development of hydrogen hubs. These are a fantastic way to get a census uh, of energy flows, determine where hydrogen is most feasible, quickest, and scale it up. So basically, it's like a string of pearls kind of across Canada, uh, just with, with hydrogen hubs dotting uh, the countryside. Let me just pick up on, on something you just said. You said your association sees 30 of those hubs across Canada. Mm-hmm. In eight years, within the next eight years. Uh, Initiated within the next eight years. That's right. Yes. So what that would have is, so we already have, uh, depending on how one defines how well a hub is started up or how how far along it is, we do have, uh, I don't know, four or five, something like that, that have been announced that are in process. In general, the teams which are working, for example, here in Vancouver, uh, have plans once they get the Vancouver hub set up perhaps to go to Prince George or Kamloops or Prince Rupert and other regions so that we can duplicate these scale-up efforts. Uh, It is a matter of identifying, again, where these energy flows are, where our most cost-effective uses for hydrogen are, and then scaling these up. It's it's a little bit like, uh, I don't know, perhaps scaling up the IT sector a a few decades ago, where uh, we have an enormous opportunity and um, we have uh, a bunch of work that has to be done. And as part of the association, you know, I'm uh, happy to be as helpful a Sherpa as possible to all the mountaineers who are uh, establishing these hubs. To flip that then, are there places across the country where there won't be hydrogen hubs because hydrogen may not be an option? I would expect that we would have hydrogen hubs in all regions of the country, all across Canada. There may be some regions, maybe some remote regions where There might not be a full hub, but we would still expect hydrogen to play a big role in the future energy system. Uh, One advantage, maybe one opportunity in terms of hubs, is the fact that uh, hydrogen fuel cells are generally recognized as the main solution for rail and for long-distance trucking. If you think about our rail network and our trucking routes, then uh, once we have the critical mass of, uh, of hydrogen infrastructure set in place, perhaps along the 401 corridor from Windsor all the way to Quebec City, then we can start building out more infrastructure. And those zero-emission trucks can do all that freight work, do all that productivity work uh, through a broader and broader proportion of Canada. So um, 
I guess perhaps I'd say that some hubs will come before others, uh, but we do hope and plan to bring the advantages of hydrogen or help local businesses bring the advantages of hydrogen uh, to each of their respective communities. In some communities, maybe not so big as to, to get a hub designation, but to all communities nonetheless. Natural Resources Minister Jonathan Wilkinson testified before the U.S. Senate Committee on Energy and Natural Resources back in May, and he said that in terms of working with the United States on transportation corridors, there needs to be a lot more infrastructure. But he did say that hydrogen is something that's being looked at. You've spoken about a hydrogen, I guess, if you will, a corridor within Canada. Is work being done to start that transportation corridor with our neighbors south of the border? Yes, and I can speak from my own direct experience here. On the West Coast, there's a desire to connect British Columbia through to the southernmost points of California along, I guess it's the I-5 down there. And um, since there is a fair amount of freight traffic that moves, of course, not just east-west across Canada, but north-south to the United States, then uh, we are in contact with our U.S. counterparts to make sure that our efforts uh, build on each other and spur faster action in each other's jurisdictions. Matthew, as we talk about that transportation corridor, you know, east-west and also north-south, I'm wondering in terms of hydrogen and vehicle transport overall, where does that play when it comes to EV and other clean sources of transportation for the consumer? Sure. So. Um, As with my little analogy that batteries are like exoskeletons before, we do expect hydrogen to be used more in the heavy-duty vehicles, Uh, but the association feels there's a role for hydrogen even in the passenger vehicle segment. The kind of quirky not many people have them at the moment. Maybe a story that I can relate that is relevant is that before taking this role, I worked at a nonprofit helping lead the outreach for and administering British Columbia's pioneering EV rebate program to put level two chargers in apartment buildings and condos and in townhouse complexes with shared garages. And uh, what we found was the average cost to install, to, to buy and install a charger for someone with a private garage was about $1,500, $1,500. The average cost we saw for about 130 total installations to put the same kind of a charger into a shared garage was about $6,600, about four times Uh, the amount of someone who has their own detached house. Uh, And so uh, that experience, ironically, convinced me of the need to have hydrogen as part of our passenger vehicle solution mix as well. Uh, It is very difficult to foresee that, you know, we can have 100.0% of people preferring or being able to charge easily and conveniently for them, um, given that not everyone lives in a detached house. I guess, as in nature, you know, uh, as in Canada, with our multiculturalism, it'll be a diversity of solutions that, uh, that gets us where we want to go. For sure, battery electric vehicles are wonderful. Uh, they'll be the majority solution. Uh, but there's always a niche for uh, people with different tastes and needs as well. We've talked about hydrogen in terms of climate. What about actual cost? How does it compare, you know, with, if you're using getting energy from the oil and gas sector? So there was a study recently by the Transition Accelerator, which comes out of Alberta, which noted that even with today's prices for diesel, as an example, 
using blue hydrogen in Alberta. Alberta has very cheap natural gas. Uh, using very low emission blue hydrogen from Alberta would be able to cost, with current technology, would be able to cost less on a dollars of fuel per mile basis, for, per kilometer basis, than diesel currently does. And so that's one of the first markets where uh, we're trying to incentivize and spur growth. Certainly, we do need to make sure that hydrogen is cheap enough so that no one suffers economically as a result of switching. And uh, that is part of the plan. As we help scale up hydrogen, we will see these mass production effects, these cost reduction, and we'll be able to apply those. Uh, the ideal situation would be where we have, in the case of long-haul freight, uh, the truckers not having to spend as much money on fuel, uh, the customers not having to spend as much money, and also being able to share some of those savings with the drivers who uh, don't always get uh, get a seat at the table when it comes to distributing savings. Are there any limitations with this energy source? All energy sources have sweet spots and uh, sort of less sweet spots. Uh, hydrogen is, uh, is not unlike them. Uh, what I would say is the limitation right now is infrastructure, right? We have this wonderful electric uh, infrastructure. Everyone pretty much in Canada has access to electricity. It's clean, it's cheap, that's wonderful. It, again, parallels the landlines that we had in the 1980s, which were already everywhere. And uh, we don't have the hydrogen infrastructure yet. As we build out that infrastructure, um, we'll be able to see more opportunities for hydrogen use. That's a wonderful thing. And I look forward to being able to celebrate uh, our members and their customers' successes uh, going forward. Matthew Klippenstein, thank you very much for joining us today. That's all the time we have. We really appreciate your taking the time to explain this to us. Well, thank you very much for having me. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. You can listen and subscribe to Road Chats presented by National Energy Equipment anywhere you find your podcasts. Until next time.